0: John 8, let's start in verse 2. I'm going to read this story. Page 746, if you're using one of our Bibles. Here we go. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, they made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. and the law, of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, Jesus straightened up, and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God from John 8. I was reading this story this week and thinking about our, our tendency people who live in the Bible Belt here in Nashville, who have so many amazing churches, have as you know, many Bibles as you want at your, at your fingertips. We, we come to stories like this. We, we read of Jesus, and so often our tendency is, is to do one of, of two things with Jesus. One is that we're either we're, we're fascinated with Jesus and so we read stories like this and, and we treat Jesus like we do, you know, Steph Curry or our favorite band. We're like, can you, can you believe what, what he just did? Can you believe what Jesus said? Can you believe the way he silenced the Pharisees? And we come at Jesus and we're like little fans of his, love talking about Jesus. And, and I say this, that I've spent a lot of my life just, just being fascinated with Jesus. Being a fan of Jesus, reading the things that he does and go, man, you're so awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. Speaking of that just, a little, bit, just a, a little bit more in just a minute, the, the other side of this is that many of us, we come to Jesus and we're fascinated, and others of us, we, we come to Jesus and we're just frustrated. We encounter him in Scripture. We encounter things that he says or does, and, and we just, in a, in a lot of ways, we don't like what Jesus tells us to do. And here's what I mean. You know, when, when Jesus speaks something, when we encounter something in Scripture, we see him doing something that our lives and our beliefs and our practices align up with, we never have a problem with those things. So when Jesus says, hey, you know, love your neighbor. When he says, you know, take care of the orphans and be generous with your money, be kind to the poor. We're like, yes, Jesus. We agree, you're a great preacher. We're so fascinated with you, you're amazing. But then he'll say things like this. Whenever someone hurts you, when they, when they wound you, when they're evil to you, don't retaliate, but bless them. And we're like, wait a minute. Or he'll say things like this, that in John chapter 6, that everyone who has heard the Father, everyone who's heard his voice, and everyone who has learned from the Father will come to me. And in a pluralistic society, in a culture like Nashville, where well, it's just so much easier to, to believe that, that every road leads to God. Every religion leads to God. It's all the same. And yet that's not what Jesus says. He says every road to God comes through Jesus. And, and so often we're, we're frustrated by Jesus. We do not like the things that he speaks into our lives. It steps all over our toes, all over, our, 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 all over everything in our lives. And we either come to Jesus, fascinated fans, or frustrated, and I think so often in our emotion or in our logic, we stop short from what every story in Scripture is intended to do, which is to bring each of us into the presence of Jesus Christ. And what I hope that we see today in John chapter 8 is that in the presence of Jesus is the only place that we discover who Jesus really is, and in the presence of Jesus, we are changed that this morning is, is not a history lesson about John chapter eight. If, if all we do today is, is leave knowing a story a little bit better, knowing a little more details, knowing what Jesus says, I have failed and we've missed it because Hebrews chapter 13 verse eight says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and forever. And here's what I, I'm referencing that because I believe that Jesus has brought us here this morning, not just so we could sit in a white, uncomfortable chair and check the list or make the girl that we're trying to pursue happy that we came here. We came here this morning because Jesus Christ is trying to bring us face to face with who he is that he longs for each of us to encounter him personally intimately the question that each of us has to wrestle with this morning it's a hard question I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna lie to you is will we have the humility and the courage to stay in the presence of Jesus until he has accomplished his will in our lives hard question even harder to live well we have the humility and the courage to stay in his presence and he until he has accomplished his will in our lives let's walk through this story together some good things in here for us to think about starting in verse two let's just walk through it verse by verse At dawn jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. And so here's the scene that's unfolding. Just picture your house church, if you're in a house church, you know. Kayla, picture your house church meeting on Tuesday night. You're sitting on the couch, you're sitting in the armchair, you're sitting wherever it is that you're sitting and imagine uh, the, the door swings open and, and it's not Matt and Davis being late. It's, it, it's, it's the church leaders. And it's this... A moment that makes you have a double take and, and you're going am I, am I seeing what I'm seeing is the the door swings open in the middle of your house church as you're just now starting to talk about your heart and your are weak and you're about to start jumping in the word and church leaders pull in this woman by the arm and what you notice about her is that she's not wearing any clothes instead all she has is this blanket draped around her body concealing And you can't see her face, but what you can do is you can hear the 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 sobbing. You can can see that the tears falling from her eyes and hitting the floor. And this is what's unfolding in John chapter 8. The middle of a little diva with Jesus. And this scandal breaks out. Introduces us to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We could say so many things here about them. We've talked about them before. We'll talk about them after. So many of us are just like them, so that's why we're going to keep pressing into them. But, but two things for our conversation today. The first is that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they prided themselves on their ability to execute the commands of God. It was all about their performance, what they could do for God. And the second thing that I want us to know is that they were opposed to Jesus. His teachings, his life were a contradiction to the self-righteousness that they were building their lives on. Jesus was a threat to them. Verse 4, they said to Jesus they're holding this woman, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So we learned some things here. I want us to, to notice these details of color in this story that that this woman, what she was doing, it was, it was not good in the eyes of God, okay? And, and what these men said, it was absolutely true. You can go and read about it in uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and the Old Testament. In the law of Moses in the Old Testament, adultery was punished by death, both for the man and the woman involved. It's a big deal. This story also, some detail i don't want us to miss is it 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 reveals to us something about the teachers of the law and the pharisees and it reveals to us their motives you know where's the guy in this story these pharisees they catch this woman in this hotel room and and i'm pretty sure you don't uh, commit adultery by yourself that this is something that happens between two people and so why do they grab the woman where is the man And here's what it, this story is trying to, to show us about them. That, that these men are not zealous for the ways of God. They are concerned with the people of God walking in obedience. This is a trap. They use this woman. And I hope that we have some sympathy for this woman. I hope that something in her heart just goes out to her as we read this, the, the ridicule that she's received, just kind of in the ugliness and how they've treated her and shamed her. But let's not diminish or forget that what she's done. Just because another ugly sin has arisen to the Pharisees, we, we shouldn't and we can't overlook her sin just because of, of theirs. So here's what's happening in John 8, that, that both of these people, the, the, women, the woman and the Pharisees are in the presence of Jesus and both have sinned. Both have missed it her for her physical rebellion against the words and the ways of God. And so all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it reveals that, that God's picture, God's heart for physical intimacy, is reserved for one woman and one man in the context of marriage. And, and we don't know this woman's story, but what we do know is that she treated the words of God very lightly. She's done what she's wanted. She's pursuing her own. She's, in many ways, has become her own God. She's the utmost authority in her life. She has sinned, and yet so have they, okay? Uh, They're supposed to be the church leaders, the, the ones that we would look up to and follow and respect. And yet their hearts are marked with resistance and hardness to Jesus, Jesus who is God in the flesh. Let's notice what Jesus does, second part of verse six. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. That is strange, right? What's he doing? This reminds me of what my kids do. So in our backyard, we have a dog, and our dog has just created this path where grass will never grow again, just where she runs around our tree over and over again. And, and so my kids, my little son, Jones, he'll sit down in the middle of the dirt, and he'll just pick the dirt up, and he'll play in it. My little girl, Finley, will go over to the dirt, and she'll pick it up, and she'll throw it in the air, and she'll pick it up, and she'll rub it in her hair. We're trying to teach her to be a lady, but it's not working very well right now. And, and I go, what are my kids doing? Why do my kids play in the dirt? There are probably a lot of answers to that question, but, but one of the reasons is that they have not a care in the world. And I wonder if Jesus is demonstrating something along these lines. And so here's what I want us to think about. Could you imagine the pressure that Jesus is feeling in this moment? Every eye is on him in the middle of a Bible study. And you can just imagine, you know, uh, the, the people who are fans, who are, 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 are for Jesus are going, man, what's he going to do? Is he going to condemn this girl? Is is he going to obey the law? Because if he does, man, that is not going to be a good PR move for him because word is spreading and people are actually starting to believe that that sinful people are safe and welcome in the presence of Jesus. But if a sinful woman gets put to death in the presence of Jesus, that's a bad move. The other side of that, you can sit there going, man, or, or is Jesus going to go soft on her? Is he going to just give her grace? Is he going to sit above the law? Is he going to discredit all that Moses did? Can you imagine the pressure Jesus is feeling? Every eye is on him, the future of his ministry, his credibility, his integrity riding on this moment. You guys know what pressure does to us. Some of you are in the middle of finals right now, and you are just stressed out of your mind because you've got to make a C on that econ final, right? Like, You know the pressure of, that comes from work, the presentation you have to give on Tuesday, the pressure that you feel in raising your children, the pressure that you feel from your spouse, the pressure that we feel. And what does pressure do to us? What do we turn to relieve the pressure? We turn to drink? right? We turn to food. We turn to medication. We worry. We stress. We can't sleep at night. What does pressure do to us? And I want us to notice what what Jesus does with pressure. Look at him. I wonder if he's showing his peace. I wonder if he's showing his lightheartedness. I wonder if he's showing the lack of pressure that he feels, that he's not afraid of the situation that these people have created around him. He's not worried about how he's going to handle these sinful people, Jesus is like a kid playing in the dirt. Wow. Keep going, verse 7. And when they kept on questioning him, Jesus straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time until the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's what Jesus does first with the accusers, the, the Pharisees. He, he exposes, I want you to listen to this, he, he exposes their own sinful hearts to themselves but he does it in such a controlled and kind way. So Jesus doesn't look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and condemn them. He doesn't look at them and say, how how dare you shame my daughter? How dare you drag her through the street and make a spectacle out of her? How, How dare you snakes? No, Jesus doesn't shame them the same way they had shamed her. He doesn't start exposing their private sin in the public places. He looks and he says, any of you who are perfect, feel free to obey the law. And when the words of Jesus hit their hearts, it silenced them. And they made the choice to leave. I think that's so important for us to understand in John chapter 8, that it was their choice to leave the presence of Jesus. Jesus. What was it about his words, his authority, his presence that made them want to leave? Was it the conviction that they were feeling that that they could not stand the conviction that was going on in their hearts, so they just had to leave? Or or was it just the straight-up resistance, the hard-heartedness, the closed-offness to Jesus? They made the choice to leave. Jesus did not run them off. It is hard, it is painful to be in the presence of Jesus with pride in your heart. How different, though, was the experience of the woman? She didn't try to escape. She didn't try to blend in with the crowd. She stayed in his presence. Just kind of got me thinking, you know, uh, I wonder what this woman even knew of Jesus at this point. Did she even know who it was that she was standing face to face with? Can you imagine what she was feeling? Here she was standing in church, standing where we are today, feeling the shame of what she had done, feeling the humiliation of what has been done, what has been spread, what has been told about what she's been done. Here she is standing in this holy place, who knows the last time she'd even been in church. And she's face to face with Jesus. And all those who have caught her, all those who have accused her, all those who have wanted her condemned are silenced and they disappear and it's just her and Jesus in this intimate moment and Jesus says to her, here's what he says to her, leave my presence until you get your life figured out and when you quit sinning, then you can come back and experience forgiveness. Isn't that what your Bible says? No, what does he say? I do not condemn you. And here's what I hope you see, here's what I hope we see. That in the presence of Jesus, it is the safest place for sinful people who have shipwrecked their lives. For sinful people who have shipwrecked their lives, the safest place in the world is in the presence of Jesus. I wonder what this woman did with Jesus and what he had done for her. I wish that we got to know about her like we know about Peter or Mary or Martha. I wish we knew about this woman's story like we do Paul's, but we don't. It's the only mention that we have of this woman in scripture, in fact, I don't even know her name. And I think it's significant because this story teaches us that it's not primarily about her. This is not primarily a history lesson. This is a story about Jesus, about his disposition, his response to people who find themselves standing face to face Standing in the presence of God in a holy place with sin in our hands, with pride in our hearts, with accusers all around us, not physically but spiritually, and, and, and my gut is that you probably experienced this this morning and didn't even notice it, if not this morning you have this week, where, where you heard a lie in your head this week that, that you shouldn't be here this morning, that you don't belong, that, that you've done too much, that Tuesday night when you mess around with your girlfriend and, and, and you kicking yourself all week and, and you thought, man, church is the last place that I should be today this is a story about what Jesus does with sinful people this is a story about Jesus and what we will do with this Jesus as we encounter him many of us came here this morning not really knowing why God is real. God's not just for some of us. He's for all of us. There's going to have to be some places in your heart, though, that in order for you to experience Jesus, you've got to let your guard down. So in every relationship, this is how it works. You will never have intimacy you will never be fully known full love you will never experience all the relationships if there's a guard up and Jesus is, is working this morning I mean, he's working he's he's walking he's ministering he's tapping you on the shoulder he's pulling at your heart and he's looking at you going Aaron just just come just 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 let my just just let my presence just stand in my presence Let the guard down. This is not a a, a history lesson about what Jesus did. This is an invitation into what Jesus is trying to do for you right now. The cross of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, has changed everything about us forever. You see, the cross, the empty tomb, is this great announcement, it's this great declaration that that you and I have been accused, we have been condemned, we've been declared guilty. And the cross of Jesus Christ is this great announcement that he has come to take our place. Whether you see this, whether you feel it, whether you believe it or not, Jesus came and he died and he took the punishment that God had determined and set for people who sin and rebel against God and that penalty, that price is death. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And the kindness of Jesus took our punishment, took our place, took our death so that even though each of us have lived shipwrecked, sinful lives, these same words could be true to us. I do not condemn you. John 3, verse 17 God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for it's in the presence of Jesus where all of our accusers and all of our accusations fall to the ground. They lose their weight, they lose their authority, because in the presence of Jesus, he takes our place, forgives our sin, dies, comes back to life promises us that in Jesus we have new life. What will we do with Jesus? We have the courage, we have the humility to, to stay in his presence until his will is accomplished in you. Oh, it's so hard to stay in his presence when we've sinned, when we've rebelled. It's so hard to stay in his presence throughout the day. It's so hard to stay in his presence. We're sinful and prideful and hard-hearted. But in the presence of Jesus, there's freedom. There's healing. In the presence of Jesus, there's release. In the presence of Jesus, there's grace. In the presence of Jesus, there is a mercy that you find that empowers you to live a new life. In the presence of Jesus. A little bit of my story. I spent a lot of my life being fearful to let God all the way in. I just, I'd gotten into sin so early in life, like consciously just choosing and rebelling and doing what I wanted, and it's just stuck with me like my entire life. And yet, here is the, the beauty about who Jesus is. A couple years ago, I was sitting in my office and I was. Uh, Getting ready to to preach, I was preparing and going over my notes with some of my friends. And and one of the guys was in the room, he just puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Brandon, he says, "As, as you're praying, as we're talking, he said, I just, I saw Jesus and I saw him walk over to you and I saw him put his hand on your shoulder and I heard him say, I love you. And you can ask Aaron because he was there. I'm just sitting there in my office. I'm just crying. Part of me didn't believe it. Part of me didn't want to believe it because of the things that I'd done, the, the person I'd done, the ways that I'd hurt other people, the, my sin and my rebellion. And yet the truth is that when you let Jesus all the way into your life, when you will create space for the living God to meet you, he will heal you, he will cleanse you, he will speak these words over you because this is who Jesus is. And His love for you. His love for me. He wants us to live life free from sin and rebellion. It's how we are created to live. We're going to take communion here in just a minute. Will and Cailin and band are going to get back up and lead us in a few more songs into the time of worship. And I just want to really challenge you and invite you, man, that Jesus is here with us. He's speaking. He's moving. He's giving you visions. He's giving you words. He's tugging at your heart. Man, do not resist. Let the guard down, let the wall down, let him in. Some of you here today, you've you've never experienced Jesus. You've never encountered his grace. You've been coming to church for years and years. You've been listening to sermons and hearing songs and you've never believed it. And I invite you to, to let Jesus come and speak these words to you. I do not condemn you. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you've never swam in the grace of Jesus. You've never been filled with forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to stand. And and if you want to to step into this amazing life of Jesus, if you want to to walk with him, if you want to, to, to step into this freedom, let us help you. Please let us help you. There'll be some men and women at the respond band or behind me. Please just come and let us pray for you and talk to you, lay our hands on you. Have the courage or the humility to call it like it is. Don't pretend. Don't keep playing this church game. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to know that there's something really behind just going through the motions, come, come, come. Some of you here today, man, this, this resistance is hard, and you're, you're, you're never going to encounter Jesus with it up. And for some of you, you're going to have to swallow your pride because of the things that you've said and done. The, the stance you've taken on social media, the stance you've taken with your friends, the stance you've taken at work, and, and you're realizing, oh, crap, Jesus is real, and I'm going to repent. Don't let your pride about how others perceive you, your friends, or your family stop you from encountering Jesus, from experiencing freedom and liberation and joy in Jesus. So I invite you to just repent, come let us pray for you, let the walls down, invite Jesus, come all the way in and repent. Some come here this morning, you've been followers of Jesus for a long time, you're very good with the I do not condemn you part, but the, the words that, that you need to wrestle with this morning are okay, now go and sin no more. It's easy for us living in Nashville, leaving this culture to be saturated with grace and love and you know all that good stuff, and I believe in those things, but, but my, my, my fear is that too many of us are using the grace of Jesus as a license to sin because we know he'll take us back. As one of your pastors, as your friend, as your brother in the family of God, repent, confess. And some of you are, you know that every time life gets hard, every time you feel that pressure, you, you revert back to those patterns and those ways. And I invite you as we take communion, as we break the bread, drink the cup, man, don't just settle for a, a mediocre sermon and for songs today. Confess and repent. Let people in on your real life. You can't do it by yourself. Let people help you. Bring some accountability in. Let them know the real you. What's that pattern? What's that habit? What's that thing that you keep turning to? What's that crutch of sin that you keep leaning on? And let Jesus take it and destroy it and walk in fullness with Jesus. Others of us, man, is, I want to give us something to, to do and to think about. And this probably is not going to happen tomorrow or even this week. But sometime in the next month, the next six months, the next year, you're going to find someone who has completely shipwrecked their lives. And you're going to have a choice. How will I treat them? What will I say to them? And I encourage you in that moment to remember Jesus, to remember the grace of Jesus and the good news of the gospel and to share with them who Jesus is. Have the courage to share your story. Have the courage to invite them to Jesus. Show them that in Jesus there's no condemnation, there's no safer place in the world than the presence of Jesus. And I also want to encourage you, next season you're going to, Encounter a situation with one of your friends, with one of your buddies, and man, they're believers in Jesus, but they're just walking in sin. There's a, a pattern of sin in your life, and I'm gonna invite you to have the courage to, to call them out of it. And we're so uncomfortable with this. We don't like to, to speak in other people's spiritual journeys. We don't wanna feel like we're judging. We're not judging. We're helping each other become sanctified. We're following, literally, as disciples of Jesus, helping each other people grow. So don't let your friends, don't let your family, man, and don't be a, don't be a jerk about it. Don't condemn them and shame them in public places. Invite them into a safe and intimate personal place like Jesus did and call them into the loving arms of Jesus and the full life with Jesus. Love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are, for all you've done. Your cross, your empty tomb, it's our only hope. And um, We are trying and we are living and we are pressing into you. I know that Uh, man, so many times and places and sermons and days we just miss it. And uh, you're the God that speaks these words over us when we miss it. I do not condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You're a God of repentance and grace. God, thank you for Jesus. Encounter us this morning in a very real way. We invite you. We want you to defeat the enemy in the name of Jesus for the glory of your son, Jesus, for the good of your people here at Ephesus. In your name we pray. Amen.